Lord, we're grateful that we can come once again to sit at your feet and to hear your word. Lord, I pray that as this message is brought forward, that you would take our minds now and think through them, that you would take my lips and speak through them, that you would take our wills and bend them to yours, and you would take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. As I mentioned earlier, we're just back from a wonderful couple weeks away in northern Michigan. I, I highly recommend to you Torch Lake, Michigan. The water is beautifully blue clear like the Caribbean. And uh, my favorite memory was sitting on the, the bow of a pontoon boat with my feet in the water smoking a cigar with my, 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 my son-in-law and my three boys. And, uh, just, and the girls were in the back of the boat, and we sat there for about a couple hours, just feet in the water. And so if I don't look refreshed, I should. So once again, I thank you for your support and uh, your unwavering partnership in the good news of Jesus Christ with me. So I thought early in the summer, you know, we've got a few weeks here before kickoff Sunday. What's, what's a good little series? Should I go back to the lectionary or not? And then I just thought... Well, Naaman, we're surrounded by people like this general that we read. I encourage you to open up with me to your Bibles, because we're preparing for our fall launch, and, and kickoff Sunday is right around the corner where you'll be hearing me say to you, invite your one for kickoff Sunday. Invite your one. And I know you well enough to when I say those words, you're nervous. You're, oh, here we go again. You know, it's all about the numbers, or it's all about just Gene reaching out. No, guys, I have yet to have my one even come. I'm not lying. For nine years, I've invited one person to kick off Sunday. No, they haven't come. You guys have been much more successful than I have. You know, maybe because they know who I am. They don't all know who I am. But it's, it's just being faithful Christians. Because this is too good to keep in, Right? And so we want people to know the joy and the hope and the love that we have. And we're going to see that in the interaction between Nama and Elisha today. So what we're doing is kind of huddling up over the next few weeks and seeing what this is really all about, being believers. And so we're doing a, a, a three-part series because Avon Lake, Bay, Sheffield Lake, Avon, and beyond are filled with people who are on the surface disinterested secular people. But under the surface, there's clandestine seeking going on. What brings an accomplished person that lives in our area to begin to seek the one true God, the God of the Bible? So that's what we're going to look at today and for the next month. Today, we're looking at how we become believers. Next week, how we live as believers. And on Labor Day, we're going to look at how we're shaped as such. And so... We're going to be being prepared for kickoff Sunday and us inviting that one person that God brings across our path. And so it's very applicable for every single one of us, for, for you high school and college students, as you live under the, the incredible pressure that your parents and grandparents couldn't even imagine. How can I swim like a salmon upstream? This series is going to help. For you adults, as you go back to the office, the job site, wherever you work, 
how can I stand for Christ in a, in a winsome way, unwavering, strong, steadfast? And for you older saints who really do and are praying for us, praying for every single one of us, and you older saints that, you know, all your friends are Christians, quote unquote. <laughs> Not necessarily. But the reality is, how can we all be the disciples we've been called to be? That's what we're going to look at. Because the good news of Jesus Christ can change anybody. And there's not a greater picture of a changed life than we're going to see in Naaman over the next few weeks. And to thoroughly understand this passage, you need to understand the enormous hatred that is existing between Syria and Israel at this time in the book of 2 Kings. This is the divided kingdom era. 1 Kings is Elijah predominantly. 2 Kings is Elisha. And Syria at this time has the upper hand. And how would, hard would it have been for a victor to go to the defeated for help? That's what's happening here. Naaman, the sophisticated, powerful, talented Syrian general, goes to Israel and to Israel's God. It's shocking. It is if the most arrogant politician, CEO, professional athlete, diva, whoever it might be, it would be like them sneaking into the back of the church to listen to the message. And these neighborhoods that we live in are filled with such people. Accomplished, powerful, skilled, talented, sophisticated, all unlikely people to meet so what we're going to learn in this passage today is why people seek, how people find, and how is it available. All right? Why people seek, how people find, and how it's available to us. Look at verse 1 with me. Why people seek. Okay? What turns people into seekers? Well, there's two points to this first point. Number one... It's recognizing that your self-sufficiency is a lie, and two, that the solutions of the world won't help you one bit. Verse 1, it reads like a resume, doesn't it? Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man, with his master in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. He's accomplished, he's sophisticated, he's talented, he's brave, but there's a problem. Notice the end of the passage, but he was a leper. You see, it doesn't matter what kind of designer life you've designed for yourself, that you've aspired to, or you accomplished. Sooner or later, something in life will always ruin it. It's just a matter of time. Bereavement. Because loved ones do die. Personal illness. The body fails you. Relational problems. Financial disaster. Whatever it is. There's no amount of money or skill that can stop these things from happening to you. And when they do, the most self-sufficient person comes to the end of their rope. And all of a sudden you wake up and you realize that my life is subject to all kinds of ruin. 
And I really am rather fragile no matter how much I can bench press or how much is in my bank account. And you come to the realization that, that you were never in control in the first place and that we're subject to all kinds of internal and external forces. Self-sufficiency is a lie. And secondly, we realize that the world and its solutions can't help when one realizes all the stuff that they bring to God can't help them. You see, Naaman didn't have a relationship with God. He was from Syria. He's a great man, though. We like Naaman. He's an all right guy. And what we see, even though he's brought all the stuff with him from the king of Syria, Elisha doesn't care about that. Because in verse 15, we see Elisha is more interested in his faith than in his healing. It's like in Mark chapter 2 when the paralytic is brought down into Peter's house. And what's the words that Jesus says to him? Does he say, abracadabra, you're healed? He says, no, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're one of the guys who's just climbed this house, opened up the roof, and let him down, what would you have said to Jesus? We didn't bring him here to have his sins forgiven. We brought him here to be healed. But Jesus is saying, you don't know that your real problem is your sin. The real problem that Naaman and the real problem that we have is that there's something blocking our relationship to God. And Naaman's real problem is his self-righteousness, his self-sufficiency. And perhaps that's your problem this morning. Perhaps. Maybe not. But he is not in relationship with God. And Tim Keller says it this way, that the cure of Naaman was a way of healing the leprosy of his soul, really. The leprosy of his self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. You might say to yourself, yeah, I'm having financial problems. Yeah, I'm having uh, relational problems. Yeah, I'm having physical problems. But they won't be destroying me if I have a relationship with God. And once you realize that, the world's solutions can't solve, and that self-sufficiency is a lie, that's when the search begins. So that's how we can search. Secondly, how do we find such belief? Look at verse 9 with me. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. In other words, to find belief, Naaman has to rest in the free grace of God, because the blessing of God is not for those who achieve, not for the powerful, but it's for the humble. You see, Naaman is expecting Elisha to come out like all the prophets of the ancient world. They would come out, do some type of abracadabra, wave their hands. But Naaman, or Elisha rather, doesn't even come out of his house. Think of that, having the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff come to your door, and you don't even go outside the house to greet them. That's exactly what's going on here. Elisha doesn't perform a spell or a trick. To demonstrate that it's his power, he desires Naaman to know that it's God's power that's going to minister among him. And he sends him the message, go wash seven times in the creek, Jordan. 
because that's what it is. It's really a creek. And what's Naaman's response in verse 11? Rage. Verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. You ever been so angry you snapped? That's what's going on here. He snapped. He came all this way with all this stuff. The guy, he won't even come out of the house and greet me, and he won't even do his stuff. He's ticked. Verse 5, second half of verse 5, so he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. He's brought gold and silver and a whole wardrobe from Joseph A. Bank. And Elisha's not interested. The king of Israel is concerned when, when Naaman first came because the king is not a worshiper of God. The king knows that Syria is stronger than Israel. He doesn't want to touch off World War VIII because they've been fighting for a long time here, okay, by 2 Kings. It's been awful. But Naaman was coming to earn his healing. Naaman was on the performance wheel. He expected Elisha to come out of the house and say something like this. Go and bring back to me the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> Go rescue the damsel in the tower past the fire-breathing dragon. Go and swim the Sea of Galilee and you will be healed. And you know what Naaman would have said to all of that? I can do that. I can do that. That's a God I can earn my cure from. And you know what? That's what we all want, isn't it? In our default mode, in order for us to get to happily ever after, we have to do something great. Because after all, it's for good people, those who achieve, those who are morally pure. No. God's grace, Elisha doesn't even come outside his home. He sends a messenger instead. It's kind of insulting to Naaman. Because this God is a God that can't be bought. Any weakling can wash in this creek, Jordan of yours. Are you saying to me, Elisha, that there's no difference between them and me? Are you a God without any standards at all? So the question that really this text prompts, if there is a God who's created us with all of our giftedness and our very breath, we should be completely living for him. And yet none of us can, right? Even good people, believing moral people, when they attempt to live for God, they hit a snag and they stumble. So salvation has to be by grace, not by performance. And Naaman doesn't know it yet, but God has incredibly high standards for his people. Which Naaman can, his own strength, can't achieve. In Exodus chapter 34, God says, I am holy, I will know why he's clear the guilty. See, this debt is too great for Naaman to pay, therefore, there must be free grace. Because there's no difference for Naaman, 
and the most sophisticated, talented, successful neighbor, neighbor of ours. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, the weakling, Naaman. Yes, the prostitute, Naaman. Yes, the cheater, Naaman. Yeah, even you, the sophisticated Naaman. Now, go wash. Because salvation is not achieved, it's received. And I've had people say to me, yeah, that's too easy. It's, it's, are you telling me there's nothing I can do? Yeah, that's right. I'm telling you that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You just have to admit in yourself that you have nothing. And that you need it. And that you're saved by God's grace and receive it for the gift that it is. See, if you try to achieve it, you try to earn it, you try to work for it, it demonstrates that you don't understand God's grace to you in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's not too easy. It's too hard. It's one of the hardest things we do is receive the gift of Jesus Christ, right? To give up of ourselves unto him. So what do the servants say in verse 13? My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? In other words, what they're saying is, Master, come on. Do it. And the hardest thing is for Naaman to admit. All he has to do is go in this little muddy creek of the Jordan, and he can be clean. It's not too easy to accept the free gift of God. It's too hard. And that's why people won't do it. It's the hardest thing in the world. It's scary. It's humbling. It's too, too wonderful, too good to be true. But yet that's what God offers us in Jesus Christ, and that's what exactly what Elisha is offering to Naaman. What stops us is our pride. What stops us is our own self-sufficiency. But it's a lie. So how is such grace available to us then, and why people seek it and find it? How is it available to us, to the Naamans, where we live, work, and play because Naaman thought he could get on the performance wheel and earn this cure and realized that he couldn't because someone else had to for him. He had to rely on Elisha's word and God's word to him. And ultimately, there's someone who did go through fire, who did go through water, Jesus Christ went through the ocean of divine justice and the fire of divine wrath to the cross to take our punishment for all of our sins. He went out and did slay the dragon of evil and did that great deed on our behalf upon the cross. The deed that Naaman couldn't do for himself, Jesus had done for him. And Jesus has done it for you. Go walk. What a great hymn. It, it wasn't in our 82 hymnal. I hope in the new hymnal it will be. Many of you know it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
So to apply this today, how do people, how do we become believers? Have you made these truths your own? Naaman's a great guy. We're going to see this next week. These two texts go together. I beg you, come back next week. It gets better. It's great to see it. We'll see more next week. But first, do we recognize that I don't need healing from all my problems. I need healing from my soul. I don't need my relationships healed or my finances fixed. What I need more is, is healing from that which is blocking my relationship with God, my sin. And I can't earn it. And once I get that, I have it. If you don't do that and you're on the prideful performance wheel, well, you'll be secular when things are going well and you'll turn spiritual all of a sudden when things aren't going so well. Guilty. Been there. Done that. How many of our churches were absolutely packed after 9-11? Right? People just drifted back away. That's the first thing. Have we made these truths our own? And secondly, no matter your circumstances, are you continuing your unwavering trust of Jesus Christ? Our neighbors increasingly are laughing at this gospel. But they're not the enemy. They're our friends. We want them to know what we have. But no matter our circumstances, we can be like that little slave girl in chapter, in verse 2. Did you catch that? Verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What did she have to gain? She was unwavering. Beautiful to see. She went against the cultural current of her household. But when you understand these truths, we can go against the cultural current. We can go against what all the smart and popular people say. Believe this. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the life that I'm looking for is found in him giving me that purpose and that freedom and the assurance that I'm truly looking for. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this day, and we're grateful once again for this story, which reminds us that self-sufficiency is a lie, and that the world cannot truly help us, but you, in your mercy, can. You gave great mercy to General Naaman, and you cleansed him. And his flesh was like of a little child and was clean. We thank you for that illustration of grace to him. And we pray that it would become so real in our lives that no matter what our circumstances, we would be unwavering. And as we continue to look at next week how we live as believers. May we be greatly encouraged this week as we bask in the beauty of of our salvation because of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.